welcome everyone to episode 73 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernick and my special guest this week is Assistant Chief Mick Tisberry of Melbourne, Australia. So uh, on this episode, Chief is just going to describe the firefighting foam problem, the AFFF Class B, PFOA, PFOS, and how Australian general have been proactive to try to get rid of those foams and and uh, the different steps they've taken to go to fluorine-free foams and, and kind of all the issues that comes with switching over. So without further ado, let's bring Chief in. All right, Chief Tisbury, welcome to the show. How are you doing this afternoon there? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Jim. Yourself? Um, not too bad. It's it's actually, it's your afternoon there. It's way past my bedtime here, but that's that's okay. That's not your problem. That's my problem. I'll, I got nothing going on tomorrow. I'll be able to sleep in, so no worries. But uh, <laughs> let's just kind of jump right into it because, uh, you know, in Australia, uh, your country has been much more proactive in regulating um these these chemicals these PFOS chemicals in our in the foam and the firefighting gear I know you've been a big part of that so if you don't mind I'll just tag you in and let you kind of talk about um, these chemicals the problems that they had with it and how you've been able to help with kind of getting rid of them and, and starting fresh with these uh, new foams that uh, don't have these dangerous chemicals that get in our in, in ourselves and also our water systems so I'll tag you in sir Yep, no worries, mate. Um, so this journey of mine started, so I'm an assistant chief fire officer with Fire Rescue Victoria, but I'm also the vice president of the United Firefighters Union here in Australia. Very proud to hold that role. Um, and then number, well, number one priority is firefighter safety. So I make no apologies for doing what we're doing in order to protect our firefighters, but also the community and, and the environment. So 2011, um, when it, the PFAS in our firefighting foam sort of really came to our attention. But we'd, we'd stopped using PFAS-containing foam in uh, 2007. So we really didn't think we had much of an issue. Um, and the reason we stopped using the foam, well, basically, governments didn't really help us. Um, whether that be federal or state governments, it was too easy to put your head in the sand. So um, we've sort of done this in spite of government as opposed to with government. So legally you can still use PFAS containing foam in Australia. Uh, with the work that we've done, we've been able to just stop using it. So every fire service, both federal and state fire service in Australia now doesn't use PFAS containing firefighting foam. And the reasons for that is the links to, you know, they call them emerging links to various diseases, cancers, um, thyroid disruptions, they can cause reproductive issues as well as birth, birth defects in kids. So we're just not even, we're just erring on the side of safety um, based on the precautionary principle. Rather than us having to prove that you know, firefighters are pretty big um, victims of workplace cancers, occupational cancers, but rather than having to prove that something has caused your cancer, which is almost impossible to do given the amount of exposures to the thousands of toxins we get, 
using the precautionary principle, we're saying, well, I'll tell you what, how about your chemical companies prove that it's safe before we start using it? So we went away from fluorinated foam and we only use fluorine-free foam now in Australia. So it's airports, defence force bases and every fire service in the country. Um, one of the biggest issues with PFAS, so there's a little bit, there's still a little fair bit of confusion out there between PFOS, PFOA, PFXHS. They're all part of the same family, which is PFAS, per and polyfluorinated alkaline substances. So, um, and there were, you know, the Cambodian companies, the DuPonts of the world and 3M say, oh, there's no links, there's no there's no proof that these things cause these chemicals cause cancer however their own uh, evidence at various federal government senate inquiries here is that it's more probable than not well to us that's not acceptable so there are safe effective um, foam concentrates out there which don't contain PFAS now we've been using them since 2007 and every bead class fire that we've extinguished have been used um, have been extinguished with with fluorine-free phones. So they work. So there was a lot of misinformation put out by the chemical companies, um, but so sold only fluorinated phones, that the uh, fluorine-free phone didn't work. We tested it ex extensively in 2007 on, on hot fire scenarios, um, because prior to introducing anything like this, um, we, 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 yeah, we wanted to be 100% sure that it worked. And it did, and every B-class fire has been extinguished here in uh, Australia has been used, has been extinguished with fluorine-free foam. So it works. Um, one of the big issues with the, the fluorinated foam is it's, uh, it's an endocrine disruptor. So we know that our firefighters are, you know, being firefighters are exposed to um, hundreds, if not thousands of carcinogens and, and, and toxins just in the course of doing our job. So the, um, what, that, what that means is because it's an endocrine disruptor, it, it, it mucks around with the immunity and it makes us more susceptible into um, getting cancers and being exposed to you know, all the other toxins that we're exposed to. So that's why we made the decision to go to fluorine free. So in 2000 and I reckon it was 16, we, we built a brand new training college and it was, it was an ex-caravan park, a you know, trailer park. And we tested it prior to, to building it. We tested all the soil and the water to make sure there was no um, contamination and there wasn't. And then about 12 months after, after we were using it, and even though we had strict regimes in place that only fluorine-free foam would ever be used there, we started getting all these hits of contamination, PFAS contamination. That surprised the hell out of us. So um, we started testing some of the trucks that were there. And every single one of them had cross-contamination, not only in the foam tanks, but also in the water tanks, which meant our firefighters were being exposed to PFAS, even though we haven't used it since 2007 due to its legacy contamination. We ended up testing every single one, every single um, fire truck in our fleet and every single one bar four, which were brand new, straight off the production line, all had heavy levels of PFAS contamination. So we went to the experts and the experts said, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, 
you don't ever tell a firefighter there's nothing you can do about something because that's our job. So we come up with our own 32 stage process to decontaminate our trucks. And we've got every single one of them below 70 parts per trillion, which is the Australian drinking water guidelines. I believe that was a world first. So once we worked out how to clean our, our, um, our trucks and our equipment, we then um, tested, all, we offered voluntary blood testing to our firefighters to see what kind of PFAS levels they had in their blood. And quite frankly, we were shocked by the results, especially the older firefighters who have been exposed to this stuff for years because it builds up in your body. Um, so it bioaccumulates. And um, the other scary thing, especially for our female firefighters, is it biomagnifies. So it actually increases as it goes up the food chain as opposed to decreasing. Um, so then we had to work out a way how to get it out of our firefighters. So we were sick to death of, of argument with governments and vested interests. Remember our, our only vested interest is the health and safety of our firefighters. So we were sick to death of arguing with them about what was a safe level and what was an unsafe level. We just want these, as a firefighter, we feel like we've got time, a time bomb in our body with these PFAS levels that we've got. Um, we don't know whether it's ticking. We just want the bomb removed. So that's what we've, we've done. So we've, we've turned up with a university here, Macquarie University in Australia, and we've worked out a way how to get it out of our bodies. So we're part of... We're just about at the end now. Um, it's been a 12-month study with three cohorts of firefighters. One cohort are just doing PFAS blood testing to see how quickly or not PFAS naturally is expelled out of your body. Second cohort are given blood donations every six weeks and um, they're therapeutic donations. So we're, we're throwing the blood out and we're passing on their contaminated blood to others. And then there's a third cohort that are doing plasma donations, and that's every three months. Um, for this year, will be the last um, the last round of donations or testing, and then we'll crunch the numbers, publish it, we'll get the um, the study peer reviewed, and then we're going to make those results available free of charge to anybody who wants to see them. So you don't have to be a firefighter in Australia because firefighting's a, an enormous family. So we're very happy to share those results with every single firefighter across the globe, as well as those affected communities. So, um, so we did that. We got the, the blood testing. We did the, the truck and equipment decon. Now we're working on our fire stations. So we've tested all our fire stations here in Victoria and they're all contaminated. So we're working on remedia and and a lot of our fire stations here are in the suburbs. So they're surrounded by residential properties. And we're in a fire station, it's actually classed as a commercial property. So there's a higher threshold of um, acceptable contamination. What we're doing is we're applying the residential threshold, which is 10 micrograms per kilogram, um, because our fire stations are our homes and our firefighters spend just as much time at a fire station as they do at their own home. So we've just started um, a remediation process at um, one of the fire stations that most heavily contaminated, which is adjoining a childcare centre. And basically what that meant was doing a 300 mil top scrape, removing that soil, getting that soil thermically destroyed by a cement kiln process. 
um, putting the pervious membrane down, putting a layer of a, a product that was developed by the CSIRO here in Australia. It's a natural product which doesn't remove the PFAS from the soil, but what it does is, is it is it stops it um, being able to migrate. Um, so it locks it into the soil. It's, um, it's to do with leachate, with leachability of the soil. So you can grow, we've done experiments, you can grow fruit and vegetables in the soil of you know, heavily contaminated soil treated with rembind and um, it doesn't suck the PFAS out of the soil. It doesn't transfer into the, the fruit or veggies. The same as um, any surface water, it um, it locks, it doesn't travel through the surface water or the um, the groundwater, which is a, an enormous problem with legacy contamination. So we've just finished the first trial site. We're waiting on the results yet. We're very confident and so far all indicators have shown us that it's going to work. So we're going to roll that out to every single one of our stations, which is 88 of them here in Victoria. Um, and sorry, yeah, that's about it. But the, the, I just want to reiterate the reason we're doing it is not because of because of government. It's basically in spite of government, and we weren't prepared. People have been kicking this can down the road for twenty years, and it's been very easy to um, put your head in the sand because there's been no solutions. We've come up with those solutions um, because we. We're the most highly exposed cohort of, of people uh, in the world. Firefighters are always getting exposed to PFAS. And quite frankly, we're sick to, burying, sick to death of burying our colleagues. So we've come up with those solutions. And um, yeah, a lot of organisations and governments now around the world, I was asked by the United Nations to do a presentation there. And we did at the Stockholm Convention last year. Um, uh, now that message getting out there, is getting out there that there are solutions. Um, it's good for not only firefighter health and safety, but uh, the community and the, and the environment. You know, the people, the people, and the things that we're supposed to protect. So that's about it, Jim. No, that's that's well. There's a lot there, Mick, for sure. I, I did have some follow-up questions, kind of going over that, if that's all right. Yeah. First of all because I, I feel like you guys have just been aware of this for, for longer than us. It's been on your, your radar. When, like, was there a certain study or what happened to where you guys first started realizing this is a problem and decided you need to do something about this? Well, back in, I think it was 2000, um, 3M sent out a, uh, an advisory notice saying that they're voluntarily withdrawing some of their PFAS containing products, so the 3M light water and uh, you know, Teflon and, and Scotchgard stain protection. Um, not because there's any risk, because they're just good people and they want to do that. Well, no multinational chemical company ever withdraws some of the most profitable products off the market if they don't know that there's something going on. So that started raising alarm bells for us. So we um, looked for an alternative product. So Remember that back then it was only PFOA and nobody really sort of had their head around PFOA and PFOS and all the different PFASs. So um, we, we looked for a, a substitute. 
So we went from the 3M light water to the um, to another product that was supposed to be uh, was marketed as being PFOA free, but what they didn't tell us is that it had this PFXHS and it was full of PFOS in it. So we actually thought we went fluorine free, but then we did a bit more digging and um, yeah, found out about. And back then it wasn't called PFAS, it was called PFC. And um, So whilst that wasn't a C6, and that's, you know, that's a carbon length chain, uh, sorry, C8, those C6s. And what we've found, especially in our, in our blood study, is we've actually now got higher levels of um, the PFXHS, the C6s in our body than we do the, the PFOS and the PFOA. So the, that has a longer, so it's easier, to, basically in layman's terms, it's easier to get into your body. It's easy, it's, and it's got a longer half-life and it's a lot harder to get out of your body. So, um, yeah, we bought a bit of a pup there. So in 2007, oh, there was also a study around 2004, I think, that uh, showed that there was um, PFAS contamination that had been going up the, the food train in uh, the Arctic and also in the Antarctic. And for, you know, especially the Antarctic, it was not a hell of there was not a lot of heavy industry there, so that started raising some uh, some alarm bells that you're finding in seal. Yeah, Mick, and they've actually. I looked into that recently. They've got like uh, five thousand residents in Antarctica, and they have a lot of people that come travel and do research. But I I looked into that just like last month because I realized I, my podcast was downloaded in, in six of the seven continents. And I was like, Oh, I just need somebody from Antarctica. And I got all seven. That's going to be hard. Cause there's only like 5,000 of them. <laughs> well, that was a little, that was a little random side note for you. <laughs> but when you start finding PFAS contamination down there, you know, you got a problem, a worldwide problem. Absolutely. So that's why, um, so that was about 2004, I reckon. Um, we come across that. And then, uh, so that's why we just said, a little, you know, dug a little bit deeper. The farm concentrate we were using, whilst it may have been marketed as PFAR free, it was full of PFAS. So that's when we drew a line and said, oh, that's it, only fluorine free foam. Let's let's try, try it first to see whether it's effective. And absolutely, it's 100% effective. But there's still a lot of industry out there um, and a lot of so called independent experts who are saying it doesn't work. Let me tell you, here in Australia, Every beet class fire has been extinguished for the past 10 years has been extinguished only using fluorine free foam. So that does work. Perfect. Now, and I also applaud the fact that you didn't wait on government. That's kind of what we're doing here in the States. You just said, nah, we're going to change on our own. And you, you made it a point throughout your fire service to just kind of do the right thing and not wait to be told to do it. So I definitely applaud you on that. Uh, you mentioned how all of your apparatus, like once they had that that C8, the PFOA in them initially, um, it was really hard to get it out, and it, and it was it was kind of was stuck in there. How did you end up? Um, how were you able to clean out your apparatus to where? you were cross-contaminating uh, any of the water, any of the other firefighters, you're, you're basically trying to, you know, able to get rid of it. It's a 32-stage it's a process. Um, but what we found is a lot of the old 3M light water had crystallised 
inside the, the pump casings and the pipe work, um, particularly around the joints and the threads inside the pipe work behind the pump casing. So we, um, now that, it's probably some really fancy scientific reason why this has occurred. Don't ask me what it is. Um, There's a fair bit of trial and error. But what we found is flushing, um, and there's a multiple stage flushing process we go through, um, but we basically reversed flushed the, the trucks. So on your deliveries, we basically treat them as feeds and the water would have to be set at 70 degrees Celsius. And that just seems to be the sweet spot. Now, I don't know why 70 degrees is the magic number, but it is. Um, <laughs> but it works. And by reverse flushing it, I suppose you're going against the water flow. So we had to make up various manifolds to be able to do that, to fit onto, you now put water into the deliveries and remove some of the non-return valves. Um, around the, the breather caps too, on, um, on, on the tanks, the foam tank, um, we found like heavy crystallization around those breather, breather valves. Um, but, and all the water of course had to be captured and treated and um, sent for destruction. But uh, yeah, it worked. So we've got, so probably about a third of the fleet, we got below 70 parts per trillion and the remainder of the fleet on the initial flush, we got it down to below a thousand parts per trillion. But um, we've since, yeah, it is trial and error. We've refined the process and it's the latest ones, every single appliance, we've been able to get below 70 parts per trillion, which is pretty significant. Seeing, yes, that's probably the equivalent of 70 drops in an Olympic sized swimming pool. So we're getting down to really low levels, which is really positive. That's good. That's awesome. Did you have the, the fact that you kind of went about this yourself and didn't go through government? Did you have any fights with the, the big chemical companies trying to keep you with this fluorinated yep. foam? Or were you able to yep. just kind of circumvent that? No, you were able to. Oh, you did have them. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah, they tried. And they still haven't given up. Um, when I was at the United Nations last year, um, well, actually, it could have been the year before. So, yeah, the year before because of just flipped over the new year. Um, there was a whole cohort, they call themselves the Fluorine Council, and they were there trying to discredit everything we've done and saying that the fluorine free phone doesn't work and you can't use it on these type fires. Well, I believe we were the first firefighters to ever present to the UN, to the Stockholm Convention, um, and certainly the first trade union. And uh, we were there to to actually just we had like i said we had no vested interest mate except for the health and safety of our firefighters and uh all the garbage that was spun it was very easily it, was, it wasn't too hard to tell them and to provide the evidence and the facts to show the representatives of the un that uh, what they were being sold was garbage that's perfect um you know, I've been to, real quick, another side story. I went to Stockholm before too, and uh, I was hanging out with some friends there and they gave me a snack and just random question for you. What kind of snack do you think they offered me there in Sweden? Be fondue, cheese fondue. No, that would have been good. No, but uh, they gave me a bowl of sweetest fish. 
which I just thought was ironic. <laughs> I don't know. It's like if you came That's in America and I'd give you some Amer American cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did. I went went to Nashville last year, over a year before, to um, talk about some of our processes here with the IAWF because they they were also present at Geneva for the uh, Stockholm Convention. Uh -huh. Very nice. Um, Nashville is one mile place. I'm still I'm still suffering from the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, over here in the U.S., and, and I've seen this also in Canada, again, we're so behind the eight ball. It's, it's like when, you know, when 3M dropped out and said, hey, we're backing out from off of that, they, they gave that hint out. Like, the, it was there, right there. Everybody should have said, hey, what's up with this? You guys did. Over here, uh, we kind of didn't really, you know, we just ignored it. It, it wasn't on our radar. It, this stuff wasn't really on our radar here until the last few years. And that's with the help of uh, Rob Alot, the attorney, and, and the whole Dark Waters and the Devil We Know. And uh, of course, Dr. Graham Peasley from Notre Dame and, and Diane Cotter. And I mean, now it's an issue, but it, it seems like you guys are already a decade plus ahead of us here. So with that being said, you know, trying to move forward here and trying to get to where you're at, what kind of recommendations would you make for us here in the States and, and Canada, really? And never give up. Whenever you see studies, dig a little bit deeper and find out who's paying for them. And a lot of the times you'll find out those studies that say there's nothing to see here or there's no, you now it's an emerging health risk and there's no, there's no proof. They're usually sponsored by the, the, the chemical companies. So the chemical company's vested interest is to keep selling their product. They can come up with it, whatever chemical that they want to. And they um, they flog it out in the community to yeah uh, to make a quid. Um, and it doesn't seem to be any ramifications. So we're not. I'll give you an example. So 1991, where this. Um, one of the biggest fires I've ever attended. It was called Cood Island. It was a big petrochemical farm. And there were tanks exploding and um, we ended up evacuating um, or locking down the whole city of Melbourne, um, which was the biggest call that had ever been made at the time. Um, now, a lot of those tanks contained benzene. And I remember the supposed experts at the time telling us they were don't worry about it. It's only benzene. It's only it, there's no proof that, that it causes cancer. There's no proof that it's harmful. There's only emerging evidence. All the same garbage we're hearing today about PFAS. Yet they were going to look after us. You know, those firefighters who are exposed, we'll look after you. We'll do the health testing. We'll do you know, medical monitoring. We'll do screening, cancer screening. Well, here we are, 30 years later. I'm still waiting for the first cancer screening. I'm still waiting for, to be looked after. And um, I've buried so many of my mates who attended that fire. It's um, it's uh, frightening. So now I'm in a position to be able to do something about it. I'm not going to wait. Now, and we know, now know that benzene is a Category 1 carcinogen. I'm not going to wait another 20, 30, 40 years to say, hey, sorry. Sorry, yeah, we were wrong about that PFAS stuff. We know there's safe and viable alternatives out there. Um, and we've just said, bugger it, we're using it. And we don't care. Um, what anyone says, uh, you know, worst case scenario, 
we're not introducing more toxins and chemicals into the environment and our people. So even if we are wrong, I really don't care less. I'm sick to death of having the argument about what's a safe level and what's an unsafe level. We're just not using it. Full stop. No, it's perfect. And you've, you know, you've kind of created to, for what I think is the blueprint, um, you know, even here right now, there, you know, everybody's going, well, I don't know if there's really any good alternatives for foam, you know, right now, there's just not a whole lot on the market. And here you are, 14 years ago, you proved that there were and you've been using them ever since then. So, um, you know, we, we, we really, we, we need to catch up and, and kind of just start doing the right thing. We know what to do. We just need to do it. If I put the same amount of energy in to come up with solutions as as they do is coming up for reasons not to do anything, this problem would have gone away. Like I said, no multinational chemical companies removes, voluntarily removes some of the most profitable markets, products on the market, if there's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. All right. Is there uh, any other words of advice to us out here that know we need to make change, but uh, are still just a little reluctant? <laughs> just stop using it. Just stop you. There's no, there's no reason to use it. There are safer alternatives out there, um, and I don't know if, you, if, you, if your leaders, the organisations aren't listening, then um, it's got to come from the ground. It's got to come from the troops. Remember, it's got to come from the people who who have been exposed to this the most. So there's no harm in not being exposed to this chemical. Yet there's a lot of harm. Um, to the continuum of exposure. So stop exposing yourselves to it. And if firefighters just refuse to use it, then management's got to listen, mate. Yeah. I, I think from what I've seen uh, throughout the country, uh, it's been, uh, at least it's been beaten down on our heads enough to know that we shouldn't use that unless it's an actual fire. So there's no more training really done with this AFFF class B foam that we know has PFO in it or even PFAS. Uh, but everybody's still reluctant to find the alternative to get rid of that old foam. They don't know how to get rid of it. They don't, they don't, they're kind of like, where do we even go with this? Cause there's nothing set up. And then of, of course, what alternative do we get? And then um, the other fear, if you will, is just, oh my gosh, it's gonna cost money. You know, everybody's worried about their budget and, and they don't have money for hardly anything. So we got to replace all of our foam for the department. That's a yeah, lot of so money. Let me, just, let me just go down that track there. It's going to actually cost you more money. The fire services, it's going to cost them more money because there'll be a conga line of class actions and um, litigation coming their way if they continually to knowingly expose their firefighters to these toxic chemicals. So it's, in the long term, it's going to cost them a bucket load more money to do nothing than actually will be to do something. And the most important asset that any fire service has is their firefighters. So I don't give a rat's about the trucks or the equipment. The most important asset is their firefighters and the, the life, the health and safety of their firefighters. So that should be a no-brainer. Um, secondly, the destruction of the, of the foam concentrate. There are, and prior to doing this, we did extensive testing through the Queensland Department of Environment and Science. So we use the cement kiln process. So every country has a cement kiln. 
It's a very cheap retrofit. It's basically you just add in a tank to hold the foam concentrate and they inject it in to the furnaces as they're making the cement. Um, and as long as those temperatures are in excess of a thousand degrees Celsius, which they are, then um, 98% of the PFAS gets destroyed. Um, and then the other 2% gets permanently bonded onto the cement. So there's cheap viable alternatives. The foam concentrate, the fluorine-free foam concentrate, there are a myriad of products out there, not only in, here in Australia, but all over the world, including the States. Um, we, we use, or every fire service in Australia uses the Solberg RF 3x6. Um, and each year, the formulas are getting better and better and better because the attention is now being put on developing um, better chemistries around the fluorine-free foam. So we've done the hard yards. There's no point reinventing the wheel. The solutions are out there. It's just the leaders of organisations have got to pull their head out of the sand and do the right thing by their firefighters and their communities. Because if I, if I was over there in the States, right now, with all the knowledge that's out there and the knowledge that the fire services hold, if you come and put a... Uh, overturned petrol tanker out in front of my street using fluorinated foam and you've contaminated my soil and my property, I'll be going straight to a lawyer and I'll be suing the pants off you. Yeah, no, that's, you're right. But, you know, it's, <laughs> that's if the person is educated on, on what it is. And unfortunately over here, uh, the average person isn't and even the average firefighter isn't. So it's, uh, you know, you're part of actually helping that, you know, you just agreeing to be on this podcast and sharing your experience is going to help hopefully um, change the mindset or at least educate uh, our firefighters and get them working on a, a solution, you know, start the process. So absolutely. Yeah, because there's you, no, go ahead. There's, Sorry. No such, there's no such thing as a, as a, a good debt firefighter. No. We're sick of the we're sick to death of burying our, our colleagues. And there's no honour in dying being a firefighter either. We all want to go home safe. We all want to go home to be with our families. Yeah, we do a really good job. We do a service to the community. We shouldn't pay with that with our lives. Oh, our job absolutely. is dangerous enough as it is without being exposed to these toxic chemicals when there are, there are safe and viable alternatives. I agree. I agree 100%. So... With that, I, I can't thank you enough for spending a little bit of your afternoon with me um, and just, just sharing your knowledge. I, I really do appreciate it. I know all of my listeners do as well. So this is uh, uh, obviously over here, it's a new topic, but it's something, it's, a, it's an important topic. It's a, it's a topic that uh, is definitely uh, gaining a lot more attention. And so I appreciate you kind of bringing even more light to it and knowing that, um, they're all, they're all, there are alternatives. There is uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and you kind of helped even given us kind of the path there. So I can't thank you enough, Chief, for, for doing that. No worries, Jim. All right. With that, have a good afternoon. And all my listeners, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, brother. See you, mate.